We've, uh, we've been doing a series uh, for a, uh, a couple of weeks now. This is the third week uh, called Why the Church? Uh, we're uh, addressing questions that people ask about church. And today the question I want to address is uh, why do we need church structures? It's a, uh, it's a really good question. There's lots of different ways that we could head uh, with this one. We could look at traditions and how they're helpful. Why do we need them? What do we learn about God through practice rather than theory alone, uh, if it's even possible to do theory alone. Um, or we could even look at uh, why the church needs to be an organised institution. Why does it need all this management? Does it need to have all this stuff? Um, can't it just be organic? Uh, and if, just as a side note, we're not going to go that way, but as a side note, <clears throat> pardon me, I don't know how much uh, you realise... Uh, about organic gardens, but if you have an organic garden, organic gardens take a huge amount of work. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Um, so when people say, why, why do we have to be organised? Why can't we just be organic? It's like, well, if you just leave stuff to, to run away, it's not particularly fruitful. To be organic, you really got to uh, work hard on it. Uh, a third option about where we could go today is actually where I'm going to go, uh, which is uh, authority structures in the church. Why do we need to have them? Uh, especially given the fact that authority and power are often handled so badly. Um, people get hurt. Um, and, and authority and power gets wielded badly by everyone. That's, uh, that's basically where we're going to go. But it's particularly hurtful and uh, problematic in the church when people wield it badly in the church. Um, the other one's... That would be really worth kind of going through, but we're going to land on authority in the church. And let's, let's just be honest uh, this morning. Uh, we, we, haven't, we haven't, as a church, done well uh, a lot of the time with authority and power in the church. The, the church is on the record for getting this one badly wrong uh, on numerous occasions. I mean, you don't even have to go back too far in time uh, to, the, uh, to the, uh, the Royal Commission for Institutional Child Abuse. Um, and most of the church got nailed on uh, the way that we were handling situations within the church. And, and it was just a catalogue of abuses of authority and power. <clears throat> there just weren't many parts of the church that were left unscathed. But I want to just zoom out a little bit for a while. I want to say this, the abuse of power is an all play. You all did it this week. Uh, while it's particularly distasteful in leadership and spiritual leadership in particular, everyone's got a problem with this. It's not just the church's problem, it's everyone's problem. And the reason why is because God gave all of us power. He gave us the ability to do stuff. Uh, if you go right back to uh, the creation of the world, you can actually see in Genesis chapter 1, God exercising his power and his dominion over things. Genesis chapter 1 verse 2 says, The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And what does he do? God exercises his power and his dominion over creation and what happens? Lots of good things. Lots and lots and lots of good things. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. 
God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas and God saw that it was good. Always good. Whenever God uses his dominion, exercises his dominion and his authority and his power, good things happen. And at the end of, toward the end of Genesis chapter 1, what we actually find here is that God hands a little bit of this dominion and power onto humanity. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. You know, the word for image there is actually the Hebrew word selim and it means idol. It can, it can actually be translated idol and it is translated idol in other parts of the Bible and it's like God set you and I up to be his idol, his representative in the world and he gave us a bit of his dominion, a bit of his power and said, now go and be like me. So humanity got given power, we got given the ability to do stuff and we were meant to do stuff in a way that God does stuff with his power and bring about good. That's how it's meant to work. Um, but as we all know, Genesis 3 happens and that's a massive history-long spanner that gets thrown in the works. Humanity turns away from God. And what we find straight away is that people start misusing power, their ability to do stuff. So in the very next chapter, Genesis chapter 4, Cain spoke to his brother Abel and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother, he abused his power and he killed him. It's not even a leader doing it, it's a brother doing it to another brother. Now, power is very dangerous. Cain exercised some element of the dominion and the power that God gave him over Abel for his own ends. Never was ever meant to be like that. Power was never meant to be used for your own ends. It was always meant to be used for the good of others and for the glory of God. That's what it's meant to be for. Here's the bottom line. Every single time that you sin against someone else, and you hurt them, you have wielded your power against them for your own ends. Every single time. You might, you might not murder them, but when you sin against them, you will power against them, you make them a victim. And this is why I think actually going to someone and asking for forgiveness is so important because it actually reverses the power dynamic. It's one of the things that happens. Now, all of a sudden, the person that you exercise power over and you victimise now is the person who has the power, in a sense, because you're coming to them saying, will you please forgive me? Do you do that? Like, do you hang yourself like a shag on a rock saying, will you please forgive me? Because that moment, then you can feel the wind rushing past your face at that moment. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Because they mightn't. (laughs) They, They just mightn't. We live in a world where people use their God-given power against one another and we've seen it the whole way through history. So there's some ways that we can respond to the, uh, the abuse of power. And let me give you a few. We can just try to avoid it altogether. If we can't handle it, best not to have it. <laughs> and I want to suggest to you that uh, if that's your way of kind of going about things, you're probably throwing the baby out with the bathwater but there are people like this and you can understand it people just go no one should have any power there shouldn't be any power power structures no police leaders boss 
I used to ask uh, students in my classes if, um, if everyone could do whatever they wanted, how many people would be free? Oh, you know what they'd say? One. I'd say, who's, a, who's the only person who's free? It's like the strongest one is the only one who's free. I don't think it's right to throw power out and authority out just because it gets mishandled. Here's, a, here's an Aussie one. <laughs> you just rebel against it. It's David versus Goliath, right? Like, you just got to fight against the top dog, the authority structures, go after him. You know, authority is bad, and the good guy is the one who fights back against it. That's probably more in our Australian cultural DNA than what we think. Here's another option to, uh, in terms of how you respond to the abuse of power. Submit to it only when you agree with it. Now, that's interesting. You know, th- this is the person who, while ever, while ever they, uh, the other person agrees with them, while ever the authority agrees with what they think, they're happy to work with them, but as soon as the authority does something or says something that doesn't suit them, the person does as they please. You, do you know someone like this? But, but you know the weird thing about this kind of approach to the abuse of power is you're not actually submitting to the authority you're only submitting to yourself because as soon as the authority starts doing something different to what you agree with, you stop, you stop following them. You know, you're actually not submitting to power at all or authority, I should say. You're not submitting to authority at all. You're a law unto yourself. Some people say this, well, I can't handle authority so I'll just let other people handle it and I can understand that. I think some people have got some real, really significant struggles with authority and power and how to wield that well. And they probably struggle to do it. And they probably, in one sense, there's some wisdom in staying away from it. Know your limitations, right? But I would just suggest to you this morning, that's not the ultimate thing that we're gunning for. That's not mature humanity to have to abstain from stuff all the time because you can't handle it very well. It might be a good starting point, but we want people to grow up. We want people to mature. You know, if we're to be truly human, we want to learn about how to handle power well. Here's a fourth option. I think uh, some people just want to appease it. Um, Just give them what they want so they'll calm down. Um... Leave it alone, like don't stir anything up, just, just do what you've got to do on the surface so that I can get about doing what I want to do. And I, but I don't even think that's the way that God would have us think about authority either. I think there's better ways to think about authority than these. You know, there's a sense in which uh, most of these, if not all of them, have a way of kind of throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Um, it's, it's a much longer, it's probably a whole series, but uh, when you get into Romans chapter 13, verse 1, you see there's a, there's a godly way of looking at authority. Um, Romans 13, verse 1, but let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Uh, that's an interesting verse in the light of what happened to Jesus, right? Those who know the story, he, uh, he got... It was a kangaroo court. You know, it's like some of us would go, does God know that there's some bad people who are in authority? 
It's like, well, I reckon he would know that better than any of us, wouldn't he? Because a bunch of bad people killed him unjustly. Uh, God knows that authority is affected by sin, but he doesn't throw it out. What he does tell you to do is that you need to look through it. Now, that's a big difference, right? You don't just look at it, you need to look through it to see God and his authority sitting in behind it, even when it's bad authority. Am I suggesting that you need to stay in really harmful places? I'm not suggesting that. I'm not going to be able to nuance a whole bunch of that sort of stuff. But God does call us to look through the authority that's going on. And I think he is totally aware that it can be messy sometimes. Here's the positive. God knows that healthy, good authority is essential for your flourishing. Do you believe that? It just is. You need authority in your life to flourish the way that God designed you to flourish. There wasn't too many yay and amens to that one. People just do not reach their potential without being organised and having authority structures around them. Authority structures exist in the world for the good of people and the limitation of evil. So, when we look at the church, can you actually see evidence of there being authority structures in the church? Is there teaching about that? And I say, absolutely there is. In fact, it's all over the place in the New Testament. Um, you can, I mean, I'm not even going to go through, I don't even know what proportion of the scriptures talking about authority and leadership in the church we're actually going to be able to go through today, but there's way more than what I've got. Here's just a random one. After the uh, Jerusalem Council, like, this is just, I'm just throwing this one out to you. It's like there's some organisation going on. There's some structure. As they, Paul and Timothy, went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for the observance the decisions that have been reached by the apostles and elders who are in Jerusalem. What's going on? Well, there was a Jerusalem council and they made a decision about something and Paul and Barnabas are going out and they're saying, this is a decision we made and this is what you need to observe. That's organised, right? The elders and the apostles got together, they made a call and then it's, kind of, it's binding on the church. The, there was an exercise of authority. You know, God's given lots of instructions to the church about authority structures and how they're meant to operate in the church. Let's um, kick into that one. What does authority in the church look like? Well, let's start here. Hebrews 13 verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. All right, let me just pick some low-hanging fruit here. Right? Here's the first one. There are leaders in the church that God wants to lead and there are people in the church that need to submit to their leadership. Does it, does it say that? Oh, come on. Does it say that? Yes. It does, right? So you go, Pete's been a power monger, right? Now, that would be an Australian thing to say or to think, wouldn't it? Because we don't like anyone talking about exercising authority and leadership because we... We're Australians. We, we, you know, our national anthem almost became a story of a guy stealing a sheep, you know? And then he kills himself rather than get caught by the authorities. You know, you think about the stories, our national stories, it's always about one or two or 10 or 20 people going up against the odds. 
It's the riots in the goldfields. Those are the legendary stories of Australians. But in the scriptures it says, authority is good. God's in, God intends for there to be authority and leadership in the church. And you ought to submit to them. Now, I'll, uh, I said this last week. I, I'm the postman, I'm delivering the mail. Okay, I didn't write it. I'm delivering it. And you know what you're meant to do? You're not meant to grumble when you submit there we go. You just don't meant to grumble. Because you know there's maybe one thing worse than a grumbling church member is a grumbling church leader. Is that not true? You grumble against a church leader and they start grumbling and that's not going to be cool for the church. And I think that's what this text is saying here is, is submit to them willingly and happily <laughs> so they're happy and they lead out of joy. Amen? Now, what's really important about this, which I want you to know, because some of you, straight away you're going, oh man, like, this could just get really loose, right? Because you're just going to take this power and you're going to do a whole bunch of stuff with it and you're just going to hurt me with it. And who, who's, who's in authority over you? It's like, well, the text says, the leaders will give an account themselves. So the leaders are people under authority who exercise authority. Do you hear that? This is, this is like it is with children in a home. Parents, if you've got children in a home, it's the children's job. They're the ones under your authority. It's the children's job to obey you. And you know, one of the things, really helpful things, I think you need to include when you talk to your children about their disobedience, is you say, I am going to be held to account for the way that I've parented you and God's going to ask me some questions about that. So you know what? You're under authority and I'm under authority. We're both under authority. And we need to handle that well. This is always the way it works in the church. Always. Now, what are the structures in the church? Well, the structures in the church are often called offices. Um, and I think yeah, we could get, get into a whole bunch of... Uh, kind of fine-toothed kind of debates and conversations about this, and I'm happy to do that. But I think basically where we end up is we end up with two officers in the church. We end up with elders and deacons. That's what we end up with. This is 1 Timothy 3 verse 1. Uh, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, it's a word synonymous with elder, he desires a noble task. And then 1 Timothy 3 verse 8, deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued. Um, local churches in the New Testament are led by elders. That's, that's what the New Testament teaches. And I am an elder in the church, and one way that people used to describe a, uh, a lead pastor, and we'll get to this in a minute, is, a, um, is the first among equals. The first among equals. Many of you have heard us say before uh, that the model for uh, the church here, uh, we really love a phrase from nine marks, Mark Diva, uh, and it goes like this, elders lead ministry, deacons facilitate ministry, and the congregation does ministry. That's the way it rolls. And so we don't see that deacons have a, a leadership role in a similar way to elders where they get together as a group of people and kind of lead the church, but the, the deacons actually assist elders in the ministry life of the church um, so they don't have an authoritative role in the church in the same way an elder does 
Um, now you can see uh, quite regularly in the New Testament this whole idea of local churches being led by local elders. There's uh, an expression of this in Acts 14, 23, and when they, Paul and Barnabas, had appointed elders for them in every church, and notice there it's plural, so it's not just one elder, it's multiple elders in, in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Um, now, there is a big debate. I'm just going to put it out there in case you, um, you're wondering about this and you have your head in this space. And any one of the uh, elders here or uh, Jaden or myself, the pastor, we'd love to have a conversation about this. But one area, that kind of the pointy end of the stick here is uh, the difference between a church being elder-ruled or elder-led, Okay. So elder rule is like the, uh, the elders are the ones that lead and take the church forward. Elder led, the congregation is the ultimate one that makes the decision about what goes on in the church and they elect elders to lead the church. So we, we are elder ruled. We think scripture is clearer about being elder ruled rather than elder led. Now it is true that there's a place for the, the church and the congregation uh, in that, and I think there's some uh, some authority that the uh, the church has in that, and I'll uh, I'll talk about that in a moment. But I'll just show you a, a couple of scriptures that would speak of this uh, elder ruled um, conviction of ours. One Timothy five verse seventeen: Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labour in preaching and teaching. Um, and then 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 12, we ask you brothers in, to respect those who labour among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Now, I'll get to the role of the church in a bit, but you can see there um, that there's a couple of scriptures that are leading in that direction in our view that, um, that elders are to, to rule the church um, um, and, and, and be uh, primarily the ones who are taking, carrying the weight of leading things forward. Um, now I just want to dip my toe in the water for a second you just go well, okay well how do how do pastors fit into it paid pastors well it seems that in the New Testament there's a category for elders who spend a lot of their time preaching and teaching and get paid by the church uh, let me give you a couple of uh, references uh, to that one Timothy 5 verse 17 um, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor especially those who labor in preaching and teaching and then there's uh, multiple texts like uh, Galatians 6 verse 6, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Uh, that's saying that um, the one who spends time and labours in preaching and teaching and shepherding people in a special kind of way should get support from the church uh, to be able to do that. Now, let me... Really, this is probably going to be mostly unsatisfying for you, uh, but we just can't go forever today. And uh, some of you go, amen, uh, let's not go forever. Um, but uh, where does the congregation come in? Well, it's very clear in the scriptures that the, uh, the church uh, comes into play. Uh, they have a say in things. And um, uh, one, one such thing is, um, one such thing is uh, church discipline. So if you look at, Second uh, Corinthians two verse six to seven. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. Seems to be speaking of the church as a whole. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. And then Matthew eighteen, when he's talking about reconciliation with someone who sinned against you, one of the things you do 
is you go and you tell it to the church. So there's a place for the church to, uh, to weigh in in terms of the exercise of authority and power in a church. And that's a good thing to do. And we, for those who've been around the project long enough, you, I hope that you've seen, and you've seen repetitively, that we are highly consultative. <laughs> we, uh, we talk to people and talk to our leaders um, about lots and lots and lots of stuff. Um, and so that's kind of how we see uh, that it works in the project, is that the elders have got the authority to lead the church and the calling to lead the church. We're just going to talk heaps to people in the church and bring them along in that. Um, and as far as I can tell, and some of you go, well, you wouldn't know anyway because you're a leader, but it seems like it's working pretty well for us. Has anyone, would anyone agree with me? Would I even have one nod of a head? Okay. Um, so I don't think the, the members of the project, whoever they are, would feel like they're being left behind by the leadership because we talk about, talk about a lot of stuff. And we want to hear things, we want to hear what God's putting on people's hearts. So, elders and deacons, elders lead, congregation has a role in there, uh, deacons assist, that's basically your uh, authority and leadership structure in the church. Everyone doing okay? All right, now the last question is a really important one. Um, the nature of authority in the church. So how should leaders in the church, how should elders in the church... Uh, exercise authority. Now, some of you have been from other churches where, and you're just going, yes, that is, that is a really good question. So it's not just about what is the structure, how should they exercise their authority in the church? Now, let me give you, I'm going to give you three here. All right? I'm going to give you three. Here's, here's the first one. Elders exercise fatherly oversight of the church. Now, 1 Timothy 3, verse 4 to 5 makes this comment in the qualifications for someone potentially being an elder. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone, note this, if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Now, if you're working in a workplace, let's just say, for example, you're working in a secular workplace... And someone in a leadership position in a secular workplace doing some kind of task abuses their authority. They can kind of do that, right? Because there's actually no compulsion upon them to personally and relationally shepherd the people in their care, right? There's another task at hand, like there's, we need to do this or whatever it is. Wherever you work, like the people in authority over you could actually abuse their authority and get away with it in some senses because... The only thing that you're really wanting to do is some uh, commercial interest or some professional thing. And as long as we're getting after that, um, your personal life is not something that you need to bring to work. Do Do you get what I'm saying? Now, fathers, they can get away with it, but they can't really, right? So a father could just decide in the home, for example, that he's just going to act unilaterally. He's going to make whatever decisions he wants. His power is for himself. And he might get outward conformity from his children, but he won't get heartfelt conformity from his children. And he's, his fatherhood is seriously compromised because he's just wielded authority for his own ends. You see, when a father does a good job, a father 
stays relationally connected even as he exercises authority and power. And, and you, some of you go, well, I didn't have a dad like that. And I said, well, your dad was not perfect if your dad wasn't like that. Because you, you need to get both. Maybe your dad, your dad probably flipped on one side more than the other. You know, when I, um, one of the roles that I had when I worked in schools was um, early on, I was the bad cop, right? I was the detentions administrator. And um, I got some kind of twisted delight out of that. <laughs> but I ended up moving into uh, pastoral care. And so one of the things that would happen in a school is people would say things like, um, you can't be the pastoral carer and the disciplinarian at the same time. Which, I think it makes it less confusing if you're not. But go and tell that to a dad. Right? Go and tell that to a dad. Because you know that's exactly what a dad needs to do. A dad is the shepherd of the family and he also... Not, not solely in either of these, but he is the shepherd of the family and he needs to bring discipline and shape to the family and wield authority well. Just like it needs to happen in the church. You see, the, the leadership of a church needs to be fatherly. Doesn't mean you have to be a father to lead the church, but it has to be fatherly. And that's just putting it out there for you. That's why we have a view of the project here that the scriptures teach. It's one of the reasons why we have a view that the scriptures teach that elders ought to be men. Okay? Now you, you can disagree with that and stay in the project, but that's, that's, our, that's our view on that one. And in large part, it's because we believe the church ought to be led in a fatherly way. And it is beautiful to watch good dads lead a church. It just is. It's beautiful to watch Cole Patterson. You guys don't even see it. They have all these meetings and he's just, he's a father. And it just brings a, a security and a comfort and a goodness. You know, and I hope some of that is coming out of the other elders as well. You know, I just picked him because he's the oldest guy on the block for us. <laughs> the old guys are good guys. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Often, not always, but often. Here's, here's the bottom line. There, there needs to be a gentleness to the way that a father leads doesn't it? I mean, we are in the middle of, I mean, maybe this is a timely word about authority. I mean, you think about what's going on with domestic violence at the moment. There needs to be gentleness. This is the way that elders, in a fatherly way, need to lead the church. Not to pull punches, necessarily, but be gentle about it. I uh, was talking with Ed Welsh earlier this week and um, he made this comment about gentleness and it's just instantly, you know, I don't know whether you ever listen to someone you're going, Boom, like that's gold, all right, just lock that one in somewhere. Uh, this is what he said gentleness was. He said gentleness is using the least amount of power necessary to achieve something. Oh, that's interesting, isn't it? Now, I kind of went, okay, I think that's exactly what God does. You think about the way that God wields his power. He has immense power. And what's he doing? He's regularly using the least amount of power necessary to achieve his ends. Not adding a little bit for good measure, you know. It's like, yeah, I'm going to take it up a few notches so you don't do that again. 
It's measured, right? This is the idea of meekness. This is the idea of power under control. Dads, this is what you're called to. Use the, uh, the least amount of power necessary to achieve something good. All right, here's the second one. Elders exercise shepherd-like oversight of the church. I'm going to read 1 Peter 5, verse 1 to 4. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. Elders are not to serve for selfish gain or self-interest. They're meant to operate like a shepherd. Now, I remember years ago, um, (laughs) a, a wise pastor said this to me. He said, you know, he said, you drive cattle, but you lead sheep. There's a difference in position. With cattle, you're behind them and you drive them with a whip. A sheep, you're in front of them and you lead them. You need to be willing and eager. It's good. I mean, scriptures say, you know, some of you here this morning go, I think I wouldn't mind being an elder. And the scriptures say that's a good aspiration. You should pursue that. You should talk to some of the elders here. And do it willingly, don't be domineering. We will not have someone become an elder in this church who is domineering. It's just not going to happen. Be an example. <laughs> uh, every elder in this church is an under-shepherd for the ultimate shepherd. That's what we are. So, what do elders do? Well, like a shepherd, they look out for the sick, the weak, the stupid, <laughs> the whole flock, for the good of the, uh, the ultimate shepherd and for the good of the sheep. All right, here's the third one. Elders steward the church for another. This is Acts 20 verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of who? To care for the church of God. Whose is it? God's. All right? We're stewards. God owns it. And when someone owns something else and you borrow it, you've got to be careful with it. Our worst camping trip ever was when I borrowed all of my brother-in-law's camping gear and went camping with it. Do you know why? Because we're just worried about stuff breaking or stuff getting wrecked. Went to uh, Talabudra Creek Caravan Park and everyone told us people just steal stuff all the time. We've got his $1,200 fridge. Why? Because we were stewards of the stuff that we borrowed. And it was really important to us to make sure that we looked after it. This is the kind of sense that elders need to have in the church. They teach, they answer questions of right and wrong, they provide pastoral oversight and they, they do it all for the one who owns the church, who the church belongs to. Okay, let me finish here. <laughs> uh, why? on earth do you need authoritative leaders over you? Some of you go, well, I don't. You do. Because God's given them to you. Uh, why, why would you need authoritative leaders? Um, I 
referred to this before, um, because sometimes we're stupid. We're sheep, remember? <laughs> sheep just do dumb things. You know, um, the hope of a stupid sheep is a good shepherd. And the uh, elders in a church are the, um, the people tasked by God to shepherd the sheep and care for them. Um, I remember talking to a mate of mine who uh, tried sheep farming for a while and he had no end of funny stories to tell. You know, they had problems with the sheep getting eaten by foxes and getting attacked by foxes at night time. So they found out that, um, that, that llamas and sheep kind of stopped the foxes coming in and so they got some llamas and they came out uh, one night to check it out after they got the llamas in the paddock and all the llamas are over there and all the sheep are over there. It's like, uh, well, that's not going to work. And then the sheep got sick and, and uh, they, they, they put all this food down, this medicine down, and a, a lot of the sheep just didn't even want to eat the food. And they died. And the ones that did eat the food got better, and the ones that didn't died. All right? It's like, you don't know what's good for you. Uh, there's, let's just all be honest, myself included, no one's exempt. We, um, we're all a bit stupid sometimes. Amen? Can anyone, is there, can anyone give me an amen on that one? Okay, thank you. Well, here's a second reason why you need uh, authority in your life. Uh, You don't always see the most important things. You just don't. Other things look more important and you need someone to come along and just say, you know, that's just not that important. You think it's everything, but it's just not that important and it's not going to be good for you to keep heading in that direction. Here's another one. We are... We are easily deceived. The, the Bible has a very sceptical view of the knowledge that you have of yourself because you, you can be not only deceived by other people but you actually can be pretty ace at deceiving yourself. That's the scary one. All right? Where you're doing it to yourself. It's like, I don't even need other people. I can do this on my own, thanks. Back off. I can deceive myself. And the, kind of the definition of being deceived is that you don't know you're deceived. We, um, we can get stuck. Who knows that? You, you just, I mean, sheep. I remember, um, <laughs> I remember talking to uh, another friend a while ago who was uh, helping out on a, um, on a sheep farm. And she said to me, she said, one of the things that sheep do is they, they walk a long way away from the water and then they get thirsty and just sit down (laughs) like they don't walk back and so her gig was going out on the motorbike and sometimes she said have two sheep high over the fuel tank on the motorbike picking up these sheep and taking them back to the dam so they could get a drink because if if they didn't do anything the sheep were just going to lay there in the in the paddock and just die has that ever been you you just can't get back to the thing that you know that you need. You need someone to come and pick you up and sling you over the fuel tank and take you back to where you need to go. You need that. And the last one's related to that. We, we need to be loved robustly. We, just, we need persistent care and love that keeps coming after us even when we say no. And that is one thing that God, one job that God's given the elders of a church, to do. All right. I'm just about done.
here's a couple of things to be careful of okay and this is we need to be aware of these things in the church and then i'm uh i'll uh, read a couple of um short scriptures and then we're done well i'm done um what, what we're getting at here is what, what is your attitude going to be toward the leaders in the church? And I trust that you've seen this morning there is there's some serious responsibility on the shoulders of elders in a church. Um, but you're responsible too. The way that you respond is important too. And I just want to throw out a couple of cautions. Here's the first one. Um, just, just be careful you don't let Australian culture influence the way you engage with leadership in the church. Um, don't don't come in here and be the David against Goliath that just wants to take down the leadership. Um, we are not perfect and we will not always make good decisions. I can't think of many that haven't been good. Now, what do I say that? Is that an arrogant thing? No, it's not. I just think that the, uh, the plurality, having multiple elders... And you just need to know the elders in this church, man, we wrestle and we disagree on stuff and we, we don't literally wrestle. That would be weird, right? <laughs> Come to an elders meeting. <laughs> You're in Lycra. And... <laughs> we don't do that. Sure. Yeah, yeah. We, um, there is something beautiful that goes on in a community of people that love Jesus and want to shepherd well, uh, that they end up arriving at God's will for the church um, the overwhelming majority of the time. And probably the other bits probably are not that significant anyway. Um, so don't, don't kind of come in thinking, we just need to take these guys down. Uh, here's the second caution. Uh, just let me caution you to make sure that you look through church leadership to Jesus. Okay? It would be, it's weird to have this blind subservience to leaders and not actually look through them to see Jesus and to be serving and submitting to Jesus through them. That's what you need to do. Um, look through him to obedience to the Lord. So when you're submitting to authority, even if it's something that you think is wrong, you can do that as unto the Lord or you can do that as unto the leader. And I would encourage you to push through to do it as unto the Lord, even if you think it's not exactly the right thing to do. Here's the last caution. Just check yourself that you don't have a power problem yourself. Most of the troubles that happen in churches are because i go on a limb here, probably most of the problems in churches are either one or both of these. The church is handling their authority poorly. There's people within the church that want power and authority that don't have it or both of those things are happening at the same time. I want to say this to you. Um, I'm doing this job because God called me to do it. And I sleep better on holidays. I'm serious. I sleep better on holidays. Do you know why I sleep better on holidays? Because I carry the cares and the concerns of the church every night when I go to bed. 
This is what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 11. He talks about getting beat up, thrown in jail, whipped, and then at the end of it all, he says, and on top of that, I've got my anxiety and my concern for all of the churches. That's a thing. You people bother me. (laughs) And not just myself. You bother the other elders as well. You're on our hearts. And we're concerned about you. One day, and I look forward to this day, and I, I enjoy doing what I'm doing, and God's called me to it, and God sustains me, but one day, I'm going to not be in leadership in a church, and that will be a good day too. It just will. I'll be able to sit in a chair, and I see this in my father. My father led churches for decades, and uh, he just does what's fun now. And he, he doesn't carry on his shoulders the anxieties and the concerns of a group of people that God's called him to lead. And, and I think that's a good day for him. That's a good day. So he can just go and preach and he can minister to people. And he just, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like what I imagine being a grandparent is, right? Like the, the, the grandkids come over and it's like, oh, okay, uh, dirty nappy, so here you go. Maybe not. But at the end of it all, you can at least say, you can hand them back. And you can get a good night's sleep, right? And that's kind of what my dad's doing a little bit at the moment. So I'll just encourage you this morning. um, Follow well. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 12 to 13 says this, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labour among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. You... um, you don't have to do it to me, right? I'm just, Peter ex- accepted here. But I would just encourage you, can you just, can you just love the other elders and just esteem them really highly and just go, yeah, you know what? I don't even think about the fact that sometimes you're waking up in the middle of the night needing to pray for someone in the church. Just go and tell them today, go up to them and say, I appreciate you for all the stuff that I don't even see that you do and for the burden that you carry that I don't realise, I appreciate you. You could even tell them that you love them. We don't do that, right? If you go to the full tell, brotherly kiss. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Okay, here's the last scripture. Here's where I'm finishing. Um, Leaders of God's people have not always done a good job. Uh, there's, there have been many, many, many times in history where the, uh, instead of feeding the sheep, the uh, leaders of a church have fed on the sheep. Um, and you just need to know that uh, there is a shepherd and an overseer who is bigger and stronger than the biggest, strongest church leadership who will come for you. He will always come for you. Um, There's uh, a prophecy in Ezekiel 34 that says exactly this. Let me read a section of it. This is what God says about his sheep and the, um, the shepherds that were feeding on the sheep instead of feeding them. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths, the shepherds' mouths, that they may not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. 
I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak. Some of you have been fed on and you have pieces of you missing because uh, leaders in churches have fed on you instead of fed you. Your uh, ultimate hope is not to find perfect leaders in the project, but you have a shepherd who will come for you and make sure that you get looked after and you get fed. Amen? That's your hope. And uh, it would be, uh, it's our joy and our honour to be uh, the best under-shepherds for Jesus that we can be. But when we fail and we don't do things the way that you think it needs to be done or the way that it should be done or whatever, just know Jesus is the awesomest shepherd. He knows what you need and he'll come for you.